a difficult time, amen? I mean, it just, it really is. Uh, and so because of the, the uniqueness of this season, we are kicking off this morning a sermon series entitled Kaleidoscope. So some of you guys, when you were growing up, might have had this toy. It's a kaleidoscope. And, uh, and it's unique because you look in this tubular instrument, and at the very end of it, there's either glass particles or, 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 or maybe it's uh, different beads or whatever it might be. And when you look through it and then you twist it, then you get a different shape. And it doesn't change what's in there, but it changes the patterns. It changes the, the positioning, and, and sometimes it's different light coming in. But uh, how many of you guys as a kid had a kaleidoscope? All right, and so some kids, man, they'll spend all kind of time just looking at that. It's just unique. And so uh, with the changes, the ever-changing uh, patterns that we see, we thought, you know, that's what we're experiencing today. And so we want to look at this. Uh, what do you see when the picture changes? And so the picture has changed for us. And what do we see when the picture changes? And so my heart this morning is to look at a passage of Scripture and that we would begin to see people the way God sees them. So the picture changes People don't change necessarily unless God's in their life, but how do we view them? What is our ability to see them, and how do we see them the way God does? And so this morning, I hope that'll be uh, something that God works in my life and works in, in both of our lives. So, so the place we're going to go is in the book of Acts. Now, the book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke wrote the gospel of Luke, Matthew, Mark, Luke. He, he wrote Luke, and he wrote it to a man named Theophilus, and he wanted to, to let him know about Jesus Christ, all the things that uh, Theophilus had heard and, and, and just been known about. Luke researches it, and, and Luke uh, writes this uh, document to him, and, and others have, have, through the years, benefited from it because it's uh, inspired by God. And so Luke continues on with the story, and we have the book of Acts. So where the book of Luke takes, uh, ends up, the book of Acts takes off, and we see that Jesus was crucified, raised from the dead, imparting into his men and his followers uh, what God wanted him to have uh, you know, given to them. And so then he goes up into heaven, and the Holy Spirit is poured out, and, and the men and women began to teach and preach and, and spread the gospel, the good news. Now, when you think about a kaleidoscope, this season of human history, there was a major shift. There was a major change in how things were looking, because in the tradition of the Jewish culture, they were the promised people. They were the, the, the sacred people of God. They were God's children. And it was so important that you were a descendant of Abraham. God made the covenant with Abraham and said, I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And, and in your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And so Abraham was the father of their faith. And so they always wanted to train, uh, change their, uh, drive, put their lineage through, through Abraham. And so if you weren't a, a follower of, of God, Yahweh, if you weren't a believer in, in obeying the covenant that, that God made through Abraham and then the laws through Moses, you were ostracized. You, you weren't a part of the people of God. And so and when Jesus comes, and, and, and the whole Old Testament law through Moses was pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus. And so when Jesus comes and fulfills the Old Testament law, he is a sacrifice for us. There's no more sacrificial system. He's our great high priest. There's no need for someone to, that you go to someone to go to God. You go straight to God through prayer. Um, so all the fulfillment that he had. And then God said, I'm making a new covenant. A new agreement. I made an agreement with Abraham through Moses, through all, but now through my son, 
I'm starting something brand new, something that is going to expand the blessings that I gave to my people Israel, the nation of the Hebrews. Now it's going to be through Christ, my son, available to all who believe. So this shift in now my chosen people or anyone who has faith, anyone who believes in my son. And that's a major, major shift. That was mind-blowing to, to the Jews. It's like, no, whoa, whoa, what do you mean? Now the Gentiles can come into faith. And so this passage that we're looking at this morning in chapter 10 of Acts is one of those linchpins because that's where things hinge and you, and you begin to see, oh yeah, God is blessing, God is pouring out His Spirit, God is, God is caring and, and, can, and, and will do this for anyone who believes in Christ. And so it's major, major. And how do we look at people the way God looks at people? This passage, this section helps me understand that, helps you, will help us all uh, see how God did it in the past and how God wants to do it this morning so, uh, and, and for the future. So let me set up Acts chapter 10. Um, what we have is, is uh, Luke writing about what God is doing through Peter. So Peter was, of course, one of the, the original 12. And so, so Peter's traveling a little bit. Peter's preaching the gospel. And he goes to this place uh, that's kind of west of Jerusalem, uh, Lydda. And so he goes into this town. There's a guy who's paralyzed. God used Peter to heal this guy who's paralyzed. There's a city named Joppa that's right on the Mediterranean Sea that's real close to Lydda. So, so the guys in Joppa find out Peter is there, and so they travel over there, and they say, listen, there's a lady that's been in our town. Her name's Dorcas, also uh, Tabitha, another name, uh, depending on what, what uh, language you speak. Uh, she was a wonderful woman. She just died. Will you come? Uh, we're grieving. Will you come? And so, so Peter decides to go to Joppa. He goes to Joppa and actually raises her from the dead. And everybody's like, whoa, you know, they're just freaking out. Oh, my gosh, you know, she was dead, and now she's alive again. And so, and so everybody is just, there's a great fear of God, a great reverence, a great revival that breaks out. So he's hanging out in Joppa, and he's hanging out with a guy named uh, Simon. He's Simon Peter, but this guy's named Simon, and he's a tanner. So, so Simon, this, this man he's living with, uh, takes skins, he tans them, he, you know, uses them to, to make leather works and all this kind of stuff. So he's staying in Joppa for a while. And all of a sudden, we see in chapter 10, there's a man named Cornelius. Now, this man lives in Caesarea. So if you look at Joppa on the coast and you go north a little bit, there's a town called Caesarea. So if you go to the Holy Land, and some of you guys just came back from the Holy Land in January, one of the trips that they take you, most, most groups that go to the Holy Land will go to Caesarea because it's an ancient city uh, and it's well-preserved. And so you've got an aqueduct that was built by the Romans to over 2,000 years ago that's still there. You can climb on it. I don't know if they still let you climb on it. We climbed on it, which was great, you know. Um, and then there's this amphitheater. The Romans were great about how they built their cities. All of them have an amphitheater. So there's this huge amphitheater that's still in decent condition. That's where Paul made his defense. Uh, so there's great tradition, great biblical uh, stories from, from Caesarea. So um, anyway, so Cornelius lives in Caesarea. So he's right, right north of Joppa. And so Ces and, and, uh, this guy, Cornelius, was a centurion. So that meant that he was a Roman soldier who was over a hundred men. Now the word they use here means that this group, uh, this group of 100 were very valiant. They were decorated. They, they had um, uh, great prestige. And so this man, uh, Cornelius, was over a hundred different men. He was, verse 2 of chapter 10, devout. 
He feared God, and he also had his household with him. So in, back in those times, if you were a leader in the army and you had your family with you, it meant one of three things. One is that you were very honored. One is that uh, another one that Caesar wanted to, to thank you for something you've done that was miraculous, or you were retired. If you were retired, then you could keep your family with you. Now, but we know that he's a man who's active in the military, so he wasn't retired. So he must have done something of no, uh, noble, with noble character, so he was able to keep his family with him. So not only is he over 100 men, uh, but he was devout, he feared God, he had a relationship with God, even though he wasn't a Jewish man. Uh, he gave many alms to the Jewish people, so not only did he love God, reverence God, uh, but he was giving financially to help the Jews that lived there, and he prayed to God continually. So there, 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 there's a lot to this guy. He was a great army uh, leader. He was valiant. He was decorated. He, uh, Caesar was, was, was blessing him. He had his family with him. His character was impeccable. He was devout before God. He gave his resources to help God's people, even though he wasn't a Jew. And, uh, and so he prayed all the time. Now, verse 3, we find out it's about 3 o'clock. He's praying to God, and he sees this vision. And, and God speaks to him and says, Cornelius, and he says, I want you to send to Joppa, that town that's south of you guys, and I want you to ask for this guy named Peter who's staying at Simon's house, and I want you to send for him. He's going to tell you something that's really, really important. Mark McGonney translation. So Cornelius is like, wow, God spoke to me, gave me some very specific instructions. Now, the cool thing about about this centurion, centurion there's, there was a, a story about another centurion in Jesus' ministry. He had someone who was sick. He heard Jesus was close by. He sent and said, hey, go ask him if he would come and just pray for this person who's sick in my family. And uh, he says, I'm not worthy of Jesus coming to my house. If Jesus just says the word, then my servant's going to be made well. And Jesus did that, and his servant was made well. He said, I've never seen any faith like this, you know, Roman centurion in all of Israel. So, so there were Roman soldiers who were in leadership positions who had enough understanding of who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was that they realized he's the God of the universe. And I might not be a Jew, and I might not be able to trace my lineage back to Abraham, and I'm out of the picture, but let me tell you something. This is God, and I, even though I have to pay homage to Caesar, even though I have to live in this multi-deity world, I know there's one true God. And so, so you've got people like this all throughout the scriptures. And so when God speaks to Cornelius and says, listen, I want you to send for Peter, He's going to tell you something. There's something significant going on here. Well, at the same time, so here's Peter. He's down in Joppa. You know, he, he raised up Dorcas, he, you know, Tabitha. He, you know, and everybody's, there's a buzz going on in this town. All of a sudden, Peter's staying with Simon. I've uh, been staying with him. He goes up on the roof, and he spends some time praying. And while he's there, God gives him a vision. And he's, he sees this sheet coming down, and in this sheet, there's all kind of animals, but most of them are unclean from the dietary laws that Moses had given. So these are things you don't eat, like there's pork, you know, so you got a pig there, and you got all these different animals that God said, listen, I, I don't want you eating those right now. Now, later on, he lifts the dietary restrictions, and we can eat you know, bacon on our sandwich, right? We can have ham sandwich, we, we, you know, and shrimp. Thank God, you know, thank you for creating shrimp. I love shrimp, lobster, all that. You couldn't eat those under the dietary laws. You know, they don't have scales. So anyway, the bottom line is, so this sheet comes down and there's all these unclean animals and he hears a voice that says, Peter, rise up, kill and eat. 
eat some of this stuff. Peter's like, Lord, no way. I'm not going to do that. You know, I'm, I, I obey the dietary laws that you gave Moses. I know you're serious about us obeying you. And Lord, I've never eaten anything like that. And it happens three times. And so at the end of this, Peter wakes up and he basically says, um, he hears God say this, what God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. So at the end of that, well, those three times where the sheet comes down, kill and eat, kill and eat, he says, no, no, no. He says, what I, God says this, what I have called clean, I don't want you to view it anymore as being unholy or unclean or unfit or something you should, should resist. You understand? Peter, I want you to hear this. And so Peter wakes up and goes, wow, that's, that's wild. So about that time, there's a knock on the door. Now, Cornelius has sent three men down to Joppa to get Peter. They come to Simon's house, and they say, listen, we're looking for a guy named Peter. You know, and we've been sent by Cornelius. He's a God-fearing man. He's, he's, uh, he saw in a vision, an angel telling him to send for Peter. So when Peter gets through with his vision, he goes downstairs and realizes, oh, I'm supposed to go with these guys. And so Peter takes six men with him. They go up to uh, Caesarea. And they meet Cornelius. When they meet Cornelius, Cornelius falls down on his face, begins to worship God, begins to, you know, worship Peter a little bit. And Peter's like, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm just a man. And so he, he, he gets there and uh, he says, um, basically, uh, God has called me to have you come and you're going to tell us basically what God wants us to hear and God is still going to be here and they're going to get saved. And so um, you got in your bulletin. We've got this is a couple of verses. Uh, verse 28 says this, <clears throat> and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. Yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. What God begins to speak to Peter is a shift in his kaleidoscope, how he views people, a major shift. And so what God tells Peter is, listen, from now on, the Gentiles, those who are not Jews, are no longer unholy. It is no longer unlawful for you to go spend time with someone who's not a Jew. Now, prior to that, they did. They said, you know, no, we don't want to have anything to do with you guys. And so God says, I want you to see them the way I see them now. And so what happens is Peter gets there. Um, he says, uh, I should not see anyone as unclean. And so Cornelius says, you know, four days ago I had a vision. Uh, God tells me to come, you know, that you're going to come and tell us this message. So when Peter hears this, verse 34, uh, Peter opens his mouth. He begins to say, <clears throat> I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the man who fears or the woman who fears God or fears the Lord and does what he says and does what is right is welcome to him. And so we know that Peter has this understanding and the six guys that came with him now see that, you know what, God is doing something new. And if you have a reverence for God, if you have a fear for God, if you're willing to obey God in this time, um, and you weren't a Jew, that was no big deal. But now God's saying, hey, if you worship me, if you serve me, if you love me, then it doesn't matter if you're born a Jew or born a Greek or, bo or born uh, a Roman. It doesn't matter because faith in Christ is what saves you. And Peter, for the first time, understood that every single person living today, God wants to call into his family. 
not just the Hebrew people. And so we see, and this is powerful, you can read it at your leisure, uh, he begins to preach about Jesus. He talks about how God anointed with him the Holy Spirit. He went about doing good, verse 38, that they were witnesses of everything that Jesus said and did, that God um, allowed Jesus to die on our behalf on the cross, that he was crucified and God raised him from the dead, to which we're all witnesses. And he goes on to preach and he says, through faith in Christ, you will be forgiven of your sins and be saved. And so what they do, this is Cornelius, this is his household, these are some of the servants over there. Everybody, when Peter starts preaching this, they have faith in Christ, they trust in Christ, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on them, just like it was on the day of Pentecost. And all of the guys that are with Peter are like, whoa, this is what happened to us on the day of Pentecost. God poured out this wonderful gift that had been promised through the prophet Joel all the way decades and decades and generations before. God's pouring out his Spirit on the Gentiles? God's blessing them the way he's blessed us, and it's blowing their minds. It's like, oh, my gosh. And so, yes, that's what happens. So uh, they all get saved. They get filled with the Holy Spirit. They get water baptized. And Peter's like, wow, Lord, you've allowed me to be a part of something major. And so later on, um, they start questioning Peter, you know, why would you go to the Gentiles? And he said, well, because God told me to. God gave me this vision, gave me this dream. Three times the sheet came down, three times. He said, kill and eat. He said, what I say and the person I say is clean is clean. And so then the church realized, God, he has shifted this kaleidoscope, and now we see things differently. Every person, every living person is now a potential candidate to be a part of the kingdom of God. And so it's a new day. It's a new day. But it's difficult for them to embrace that. And so for you and me, you know, when we think about a new day and, and how do we move forward, how do we see people the way God sees people, um, it is so crucial that we look at how, and the, maybe some of the prejudice, maybe some of the stereotypes, maybe some of the, the issues that we had with folks in the past, and God saying, I want you, just like with my servant Peter, to hear me. And every person, no matter who they are, no matter what they do, is someone I want to be a part of my family, someone I want to be a part of the kingdom of God. And I want us to, this fall, to say, you know, God, how, how, do, how do I need to see people the way you see? What kind of shift do I need to have in my life? Um, yesterday was our annual conference. So in the United Methodist Church, we have an annual conference in every conference. And so uh, it was supposed to be in June in Columbus, but because of the coronavirus, they, they changed it and it was going to be this weekend and it was going to be in Tifton. Well, because of all the situations, they said, we're not going to do in person because, you know, there's about two or 3,000 people that come to this. Uh, and so we said no. And so we, we did several virtual meetings. And then yesterday was kind of the major meeting that we did with business. And so in that meeting, we adopted and we all voted on it. We agreed that we would renew our covenantial vows that we made when we were baptized and then add a, second, add a third one on it. So let me read to you uh, what we reaffirmed in our faith, and that is that we would renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of our sin, that we would accept the freedom God and power God gives us to resist evil, injustice, oppression, and whatever forms they may present themselves. And then finally, that we would speak out in every church against uh, racial injustice, against racism in every form that it may present themselves. And so as we renewed those vows and as we made a commitment as a conference, one of the things we wanted to do is, is to look at all the ways we might have these issues, these feelings toward other people. 
And it might be unfounded. And whether it's unfounded or not, we are not to have a view of them different from how God views that person or that people group or whatever it may be. And we as a nation, uh, as you know, we're dealing with the ugliness of racism. It just is. And so we, we, we as, a, as a denomination said, you know what? We're going to deal with this once and for all. And we are going to renew our passion, renew our desire, renew our heart to care and love and minister to everybody the way God has called us to do. Um, and so as I was looking at my own life, I was like, you know, how, where are there places in my life that I, that I have to let the Holy Spirit root out viewing someone different than how God wants me to view that person. And you think, you know, as a minister, and I've, I've let God do that, and I think, well, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, pretty good when it comes to that. And God's saying, oh, you got a long way to go. And I was like, wow, Lord, you know, I just, I lay my heart bare before you. What, where are those areas where I'm, I'm you know, holding on to, to, to you know, attitudes or, 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 or feelings or, or thoughts and, and, and justification for whatever it may be? And, um, and I want God to, to, to change and, and shift and, and allow me to see every person the way he wants me to see them and then respond in love and compassion and kindness. Uh, and that's what God has called all of us to do. And it was hard for Peter to say, you know what, there's a Gentile wanting me to talk to him and wanting me to spend the night in his home, which he did, and Peter agreed to do it because God helped him to see, you know what, every person now is a person for whom Christ died. Every person now is someone that I want to, to hear about my son Jesus and, and to have faith in him. And how do, we, how do we go about spreading the good news? How do we go about sharing the gospel of the kingdom through word and deed? Um, as we've thought about this, this sermon series, Kaleidoscope, we, we know that uh, there's certain things that we do as a Christian that cause us to grow in our faith. There's certain things that are just fundamental. It's like in the kaleidoscope, you know, there's, there's pieces, and they don't change uh, as far as adding or subtracting. They're still in there. They just shift. And so in this new modern era of having to deal with COVID, there's fundamental truths about Christianity. There's fundamental truths about us, how we grow that doesn't change, but it has shifted. Like worship. You know, it's not just now limited to coming to church. It's, it's going to be online. It's going to be, we're going to have to be more creative with ways that how do we, how do we get together and worship? What does that look like? What's, it, what's that mean, uh, worship? We still want to worship. We are to worship. We're called to worship. But how does it look different? Um, so in, the, in areas of growth, uh, we, we just know there's just fundamental things. And, and so this morning, the thing I want to kind of tie in with this lesson is this, and that is um, personal ministry. And so God has called each one of us to, to be in ministry. Each one of you guys are ministers. You might not be uh, called to do it as a vocation like God's called me to do it, but no matter what your vocation is, no matter what your calling is, it could be working in the school system while we're talking. It could be a veterinarian. It could, it could be a doctor. It, it could be working in the banking system. It could, be, it could be all types of things. But whatever God has called you to do, as, as his follower, you are called to be in ministry, to be a minister of the gospel. Uh, not necessarily maybe to preach on Sunday morning, but to always be ready to give an account for the gospel. It's always be that person who lives your life in such a way that glorifies God. And people look at you and say, wow, there's something different about that person. And if they ask you what it is, then you don't say, well, you know, I ate my Wheaties this morning, you know. But you say, there's a man named Jesus who has totally changed my life. 
And when I met him, and when I understood who he was, everything changed. Or however God might want you to share, share the good news. And so this personal ministry, you and I are called to reach out to every person with the gospel. And what does that look like for you? What does it look like for me? And, and, and so uh, that is not going to change our calling to do that. And when we reach out and serve, when we reach out and volunteer, when we reach out and, 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 and maybe talk to somebody in, a, in the grocery line or whatever it may be, that personal ministry that you and I have is to be to every person. We just can't say, oh, I, I want to go talk to that person because I think, you know, they might listen to me. Or, or I don't want to talk to that person because I don't like the way they're dressed. Or, or we don't want to have any kind of thing standing in our way, especially the color of someone's skin, especially that. And so if we've ever resisted sharing the good news or, or being kind to someone or, or nurturing any kind of uh, ministry opportunity because of, 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 of maybe how someone looks or how someone is dressed or, or, or any of that, today is the day God's saying, I want you to hear what I told Peter and I want you to apply it to yourself that every single person is valuable to me. Every single person needs to hear the gospel. And as you and I are personally called to be in ministry, we can't say, I'm going to resist going over there, or I'm not going to do this because it's dealing with that people group, or I don't want to have anything to do with them because they have a different nationality. We can't let anything like that be in our heart. And, and may God begin to uproot that and get it out. Amen? Amen.